I know we sang this song growing up, and I know that you'll, you'll recognize it. Good old blessed assurance. Will you stand and let's sing this together? Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That's it. Come on. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Come on, fill it with harmony. This, this is, is my story. This, this is my song. my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. at I and my Savior am happy and blessed watching and waiting looking above filled with His goodness lost in This is my story.
Oh, God, we've seen you do miracles in our lives. We believe. We believe in you. Let's sing this together. The one who made the blind to see is moving here in front of me, moving here in front of me. The one who made the deaf to hear is silencing my every fear, silencing my every fear. Sing it. I believe in you. I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. I believe in you. I believe in you. You're the God of
that, say amen. 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 You can be seated. I ask Deanna and Amy to sing this song. Um, I think you're going to enjoy this. uh, One of my favorites. It's uh, called Better Than a Hollow.
Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Come on, Tim. I'm sorry. I'm, we're done. We're through playing now. Just love that song. Just, you know, sometimes it's when you can't say a hallelujah, when you can't say it, you know, it comes through your life, you know, it comes through those times in your life. And um, I love that. When your heart cries out, deep calls out to deep. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. That's hallelujah. That, that, those, are the, those are the things that are better than a hallelujah. Tim, come bring us the message. You ready to check out? Oh, yeah. All right, you go left, I go right. Sounds good. <clears throat> we got a short line four, short line four. How you doing today, ma'am? Great, how about you? Good, good, thank you. Oh, 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 um, I've got a coupon for them. Bail on four, bail on four, we got a couponer. Dude, head to 13, we're looking golden over here. You're writing a check today? Bail, 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 we got a check writer. Holy cow, they're still couponing. Oh, four's a no-go. And that's lunch. No. Man, I am starving. Just got to stick to the list. Oh, what are those? They're so good. Can eat that on the way home. Oh, the cereal aisle. Fight the urge. It's not worth it. Oh, I can't help it. How's it going, man? Doing great. Cotton candy. You know, last time I went to the circus, I ate four bags of this stuff. Oh. Funny story, I actually lived next to Triplets twice. Kind of in a hurry. You know, last week I was down there at a little after-hours mixer at the Chamber of Commerce. Can I pay yet or no? When was the last time you went to a white elephant gift exchange? What's a good number I can reach you at? Hey, it's from the grocery store. Hey, how's it going, man? Wow, that's a pretty good-sized pack of gum there. You got some stinky breath? <laughs> Weird shape. Write this test. Saw this on Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, it worked. Wow. Oh. <laughs> okay, this one expires in a week. Mm, two weeks, not bad. Oh, there's got to be something better back here. Sir. Oh, wow. What in the? What are you doing? There's a guy looking for fresh milk. Okay, well, this one's good to the beginning of the year. Oh, that's amazing. Good luck on your endeavors. I appreciate that. It's not a big deal. People take a lot more than 15 items in the express lane all the time. I only went one over. 16. Holy cow, that guy in front of me is tall. He can see directly into my cart. He's counting. He's counting my items. So, oh my gosh, you just saw that I got 16. Is that a misdemeanor or a felony? I just got kids. I don't want to go to jail. Oh my gosh, you just told the cash register. Holy cow, he's reaching for the phone. He's going to call the cops. I got to get out of here. Sweetie, I'm telling you, I've looked on every aisle. They do not have dried cilantro in this store. I'm looking right by the ground cinnamon. They do. You know what? It's right by the cinnamon. Thank you. This morning, we will consider uh, how people outside of the church view <clears throat> Christians. And so to do that, we're going to look at four stereotypes of what they think about us as Christ followers. 
And so what is a stereotype? A stereotype is, is a belief, um, an idea or a thought about a person, about a place, a thing, or even a group of people. And it may be true, uh, partially true or false, um, but a stereotype uh, is there because it exists, right? And so obviously, you know, give credit to Dude Perfect there. They've got some funny stereotype videos. You can go watch them. Those are all true because they were specifically finding true ones. Anybody else? I am a, I'm like a short line analyst all the way. I'll walk up, but I'm wrong every time, right? I'll go and check it, and I'm like, no, this, that lady's moving fast. I'm going here, you know, and they're like, oh, there's four people here. And then I've got to count. I'm like, okay, I'm four. He's four. Let's see who wins. He wins every time. I'm just telling you, I always pick the shortest, slowest line. So um, anyway, uh, glad that we can be here this morning. And again, I want us to consider uh, four ways that people, four stereotypes that people have about Christians. And then we'll look at what Scripture says about each of them and how we can live differently in light of it. And so um, let's jump in. Stereotype number one is this, that Christians are hypocritical. Christians are hypocritical. Have you ever heard somebody say, ah, Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites? Or, I don't want to go to church, it's full of a bunch of hypocrites, right? And so, um, that stereotype exists, and and according to Webster's, here's the definition of a a hypocrite. Um, It's a person who acts in contradiction uh, to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. And then secondly, a hypocrite is a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion. And so Scripture never speaks positively of a hypocrite. It, it defines them or calls them liars, manipulators, deceivers. And we're going to be looking in the book of Matthew. And in Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, uh, speaking to them about the Pharisees. And he, and he calls the Pharisees six times in this one chapter hypocrites. And so at the beginning of, cha- of chapter 23, uh, let's dive into to verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples... The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. That's kind of the first part of that definition. Here's the second part. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels and their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. See, a Christ follower is hypocritical when they act in contradiction to the things that are stated in Scripture, the way God calls us to live in His Word. Secondly, when we put on this false appearance of virtue, when we know that we're living in sin. And so you see the world around us, your friends, maybe your co-workers, maybe a boss, maybe a family member, whoever it might be, they see uh, you living your life, right? And so if they see you um, gossiping, you know, they, usually people know a little bit about what the Bible says. And so if they see you gossiping and they know that that's contradictory to what God's Word says, um, they're calling you out on the fact that you're gossiping because that's not according to the way that we're supposed to live. And so, you know, when we think about it, um, we can be asking ourselves the question, man, how am I li- what ways in my life am I living uh, being hypocritical? So maybe, maybe you can be thinking of lying or cheating or stealing or lusting, whatever it might be. And here's the thing is I promise you this. They're watching you more than they might be watching other people. Why? Because you've made a stand about your faith. 
You've said that you believe in Jesus. Uh, They know that you go to church. They know that you claim to be a Christian. And so they're watching you even closer because they want to see, is this Jesus real in your life? Are you living according to the way that you claim or are you being a hypocrite? All right. So here's just one of those times later on in the chapter of Matthew 23 that Jesus calls the Pharisees a hypocrite. He says to them, verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You know, it's pretty clear that Jesus doesn't want us to live our lives in a hypocritical way. right? He calls us out, called the Pharisees out for them. Um, and so we've got to live the way that we claim to live according to Scripture and the way, way it teaches us to live. So instead of being hypocritical, let's choose to do the right thing. As Christ followers, we've got to speak and we've got to act and we've got to look different than the world around us. Stereotype number two, Christians are judgmental. You see, when a person is judgmental, uh, they tend to be primarily negative. They are um, overly critical uh, to point out, you know, they've got an overly critical point of view. Uh, They often rush to judgment without reason. Judgmental people condemn with their words and with their actions And judgmental people usually think that they're always right. So judgmental people, they lack tolerance. They lack forgiveness. They lack humility and compassion and objectivity, right? So those outside of the church feel like we're being judgmental toward them uh, because they sense or they feel that oftentimes we think we're better than them because we're a Christian, because we're saved. And so maybe we judge them because they don't have a faith background or we judge them because of the faith background that they have or maybe we judge them because of the the things that they do in life and so people outside the church find us to be judgmental and the worst part is the difficulty is is we come off as judgmental when we expect them to live the way that we live when they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and they and they don't read his word. And so that's judgmental when we put these expectations on them. So we have to be cautious not to come off as judgmental or arrogant when explaining why we believe the things we do about topics like abortion or same-sex marriage, about topics that might be sensitive. We, we need to understand that and know that. See, Jesus teaches them to, be, to not be judgmental in Luke chapter 6. We're going to read just a couple of verses here. It said, Do not judge... And you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Uh, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, the type of judging that Jesus is speaking about, uh, speaking against, is the, the blind, the arrogant, condescending, hypocritical Um, self-righteous judging that overlooks one's own faults and failures and sins and only focuses on the faults, failures, and sins of other people. See, the warning Jesus is giving is that we'll be judged by our Heavenly Father the same way that we judge others or the same way we condemn others. If we look at this verse in context, uh, the verses right before them, he's, he's telling us to 
to do good to our enemies, right? To love our enemies and to do good to them. And he says, then be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful to you. And then he follows up with us not being judgmental. And he warns us that this type of judging, um, when we're withholding forgiveness, that, that we're placing ourselves in a position that only God is worthy of. See, he says in verse 38, For with the measure you use, um, it will be measured to you. You know, that's scary, right? Because oftentimes the way we judge others is very critically, and we're very harsh on them, and we, we exp- you know, we're really checking out the rules, really making sure they're doing everything right, and we're really watching them closely. But yet then when we do something wrong, oh, we just want people to overlook it. We want people to be forgiving. Just let it go. I, you know, it's just an accident. I didn't mean to. But yet that's not the way that we watch others. So the same measure that we use will be measured to us. As that passage continues, Jesus gives us two examples to avoid. In verse 39, he also told this parable. He said, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brothers, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye and then you'll, be clear, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, in verse 39, he describes a man trying to lead, a blind man trying to lead another blind man, but this describes him as both falling into a pit of sin. See, a, a judgmental person uh, is probably going to teach those traits to other people. So you got to be cautious who you're learning from. And then in verse 41, the same thing. Why do you look at the speck and when, he, when he talks about the sawdust versus the plank? And he says this, that one person is calling out another because they have a speck of sawdust in your eye. You know, you ever have anything in your eye? It doesn't matter how, how big it is or how small it is. Even the smallest thing will bother your eye. So he's calling him out for the small little speck of sawdust in his eye all the time while he has a plank in his own eye. You see, we must first not be judgmental toward others, but instead focus on our own issues of sin and pride before we're able to help other people. The issue Jesus is going after is the pride that is that it was in people's hearts, which made it easy for them to be so judgmental toward others, but so forgiving of themselves and, and blinded by their own faults. That's when a person is being judgmental. See, this past week, um, maybe it was because I'm just, you know, in preparing this message, maybe it was because I was super sensitive to this, but I was at the ballpark this week, and, and uh, there was a little boy that fell from a second-story uh, balcony that goes in like a little deck that goes into the scorer's booth or the announcer's booth or whatever. And he fell off that uh, balcony. It was scary. He, he landed on his head. I, I didn't see it happen, but he, um, I understand he landed on his head. And thank the Lord he only has minor injuries. Um, it was a pretty tense 30 minutes, right? The mother jumped right in, grabbed him, and a couple other people, they were, they were holding him and checking him out. And, and by the time the ambulance left, a, a good 30 minutes had passed. And uh, the game ended up being canceled. But I overheard one mother say to another, um, you know, this wouldn't have happened if she would have been watching her kid. What kind of mother does that? And it just, it just sent chills up my back. I just thought, man, how judgmental. It's, it's easy if you're a parent to know that your kids can get away from you very quickly, right? 
and he's just sitting on a second-story balcony. I don't know how he fell, um, but it's a terrible thing. But it was so easy in that moment for that woman to be judgmental of another without knowing anything about that mother's ability to parent, but just because the kid fell. So we got to be careful to be understanding, to be forgiving, to have patience and grace with other people and not automatically be judgmental. Stereotype number three, Christians are legalistic. Christians are legalistic. Non-Christians think that Christianity is nothing but more than a bunch of rules, right? A bunch of do's and don'ts, a bunch of cans and cannots. And so if we say we aren't going to steal or cheat or lie or gossip or all these things, they just say, oh, you're just following a bunch of rules in the Bible um, because God didn't want you to have any fun in your life. You're just a fun hater, you little goody two-shoe, right? And so we got to remember this. Legalism can be damaging in a couple of ways. First, legalism can make it seem like, can make it seem like Christianity is all about rules when it's really about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, legalism can be dangerously, uh, can dangerously add to the gospel of grace um, by making them think that they have to act or be a certain way before they can come to Christ. Legalism was even a struggle in the early church. Let's, let's read in Acts 15. Verse 1, it says this, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom or the tradition or the legalistic thing they wanted to talk about, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Then in verse 5, they say it again, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Did you catch that? Here they're trying to add circumcision to salvation as a requirement of salvation. And and to keep the law of Moses, they want them to be perfect, right? And so we have to be cautious. Uh, Let let me continue reading in in verse 6. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you about the Gentiles that they might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, uh, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. You see, we have to be cautious not to add a bunch of rules onto people that hinder them from coming to Christ. Newsflash, um, they don't have to be perfect to come to Christ, right? Jesus said this in Mark chapter 2, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. I have not come for the righteous, but for the sinners. Now here's what we need to hear. Newsflash number two, we're not perfect either, Right? So we put this false expectation, this legalistic expectation on them. And at all the same time, God is still transforming our lives. He's still shaping us, molding us, and who He's called us to be. So yes, there are ways in life that we're called to live differently in Christ. It's okay to say no. 
God does give us wisdom. He calls us in Scripture to make good choices, to make wise decisions, even good judgments, right? Being, uh, having good judgments, not the same as being judgmental. And so he calls us um, to live differently. We have a different moral compass, right? Our values, our beliefs, our morals come from Scripture, not just what we think is okay. So knowing that people outside of Christianity uh, believe that, that we appear legalistic, maybe even negative, is all the more reason that we should be encouraged to, to show forgiveness, to show grace, right? To be kind, to be understanding, to show them the joy and the peace and the freedom that only comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ and not be um, just so legalistic with them. You know, the thing to me is it's interesting. I think being hypocritical and judgmental and legalistic, they're all really tied together, right? You begin to be judgmental um, when you begin to think about all these legalistic things they're not doing. Those characteristics kind of tie together. You see, if we take the time to build a connection with them and to be able to tell them why we believe the things we do um, and explain why we choose the way we choose to live according to Scripture... It'll help them out. But that also leads us to stereotype number four. And that's this. Christians are ignorant about our own faith. That Christians are ignorant about our own faith. All right? Let me explain this. See, many people outside of the Christian faith think uh, that Christians are crazy because we hold to a set of beliefs. Um, we, we pray to a God that we cannot see, we cannot touch that we only, you know, we only pray to Him. And lots of people think that we're putting our faith in nothing more than myths or fables or things that aren't, aren't true, that are just made up, right? And so our world is becoming more and, and more accepting of all sorts of religions, of all sorts of worldviews, and at the same time becoming less and less tolerant toward the Christian faith. You see, therefore, we need to understand our faith. We need to know what the Bible says. We need to know how to apply it to our lives. We need to know how to be able to explain it to other people. We don't want to come off looking ignorant. They think that we, we don't know what we believe and that we don't want to talk about what we believe, right? We've got to use that opportunity. So listen here to what God's Word says. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this. I love this passage. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we think about that verse for just a second, it begins with all Scripture is God-breathed. That literally means inspired, right? It's the same mentality that when God created us, God breathed into us the breath of life so that our lungs function. They go in and out with air. And God gave us that air. It's the same way that God created Scripture. He inspired these men to write His Word. He gave it to us. So in other words, He's the authority over our lives. And He tells us that His Word is useful for teaching. It's for teaching us the truth and for rebuking, reprimanding our rebellion, right? When we do wrong and even correcting, you know, correcting us, keeping us on the right path. And finally, for training us in righteousness so that we can know how to live God's way. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love how the ESV says, the ESV says competent. In other words, we can understand how to live for Him. Now here's the second part of it. 1 Peter 3.15, listen to what this passage says. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, or honor Christ as Lord. Again, He's the authority. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope or for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We've got to always be prepared to tell other, re- other people why we have hope in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't say to be legalistic about it. It doesn't say to be judgmental toward them. In fact, it tells us to do this with what? With gentleness and respect. And so that's an understanding spirit. We've got to speak truth in love, right? Christianity stands opposed to the to all the other religions in the world and all the other worldviews. So we need to know and we need to understand what Scripture says and apply it to our lives and live by it. We only hurt ourselves when our understanding of our faith is shallow. And I want to show you some statistics. This is done by Barna Research Group uh, regarding beliefs that are held by Christian millennials and Generation Z. So essentially that's people uh, 40 and under. Now I'm not just picking on people 40 and under, but, but I want to explain this. In recent decades, there's been, I mean, a movement, whether we like it or not, toward people being more biblically illiterate, right? Not understanding God's Word the way they used to. And so that's why they they focused in and and took their survey just on that age gap. And here's what this survey found. 28% of practicing Christians strongly agree that all people pray to the same God or Spirit, no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. Ooh. 32% of practicing Christians strongly agree that if you do good, you will receive good. And if you do bad, you will receive bad. That's karma. Karma is not scriptural. 20%, number three, 20% of practicing Christians strongly agree that meaning and purpose Come from working hard to earn as much as possible so you can make the most of life. That's the American dream infused right here into Scripture, right? How about this one? 23% of practicing Christians strongly agree that what is morally right or wrong depends on what the individual believes. That's postmodernism. So all these other worldviews, all these other beliefs are starting to trickle into to, to how we believe the Bible. So, that, so we've got to know what the Bible says and, and, and understand it so that we don't allow these other worldviews and these other beliefs to trickle in and affect the way we believe. You see, they didn't get these beliefs from Scripture. Um, we often don't know what we believe, and we often don't know how to live according to it. And so then when we make a, a, a claim that we're a Christian, but we don't really know what the Bible says and we don't know how to live, then they look at our lives and say, man, you're hypocritical. Man, you're judgmental, right? So we got to be careful. Now listen to this. Ed Stetzer, he wrote this about biblical illiteracy in a magazine called Christianity Today. So he was using some uh, Lifeway research. And he says this about, uh, we learned the following about our Bible reading habits among church attendees. So people who attend church. They indicated that they read the Bible as follows. You can see the statistics. 19% say they read the Bible every day. 26% say they read the Bible a few times a week. I'd say three or four. Um, 14% say once a week. 22% say at least once a month. And 18% say rarely or never. See, there's a couple of interesting takeaways, I think, if we think about these statistics. That means that about 60%, if you add up the top three, about 60% of church attenders are reading their Bible at least at some point uh, during the week. 
That, that sounds like a good thing. Um, but then if you think about just the everyday people, so 19%, about one in five are reading their Bible every day. But that's really just offset by nearly the one in five that never read their Bible, right? It's going to be hard for us to understand Scripture if we're never reading our Bibles. Ed Stetzer and Eric Geiger, they co-authored a book a few years ago uh, titled Transformational Groups. And in it they write, this quoted from the book, We found that group attenders were much more likely than non-group members to read their Bibles regularly. So 67% as compared to only 27%. So being involved in a small group made it more than twice as likely um, a Christian would be regularly reading God's Word. On top of that, we found involvement in small groups made Christians more likely to pray for others and to confess their sins to God, both of which are predictors of biblical engagement. It's no wonder we concluded simply Groups matter. Groups matter. You want to know why we point you to connection groups and encourage you to be a part of a connection group? Because groups matter. You want to know why we encourage you to be a part of our Wednesday night CDP classes? Because small groups matter. And so uh, discipleship matters, learning scripture matters, being in that small group matters, right? And so we have to change the stereotype about our lives that we don't know what the Bible says and that We surely don't live according to it. We can no longer continue to look biblically illiterate. We've got to know what God's Word says. We've got to dive into the Word to begin to learn um, how to live. So if we want to make a kingdom impact, if we want to change this world for Christ, and if we want to change these stereotypes that are about the church, then we have to understand that these stereotypes exist. Right? They exist. And let's face it, if we're honest... Sometimes we're hypocritical. And as Christians, as Christ followers, sometimes we're judgmental. And if we're not careful, we let legalism creep in. And sometimes we let ignorance win the day. So it doesn't matter how the world around us is living. That doesn't make a difference. But what does matter is the way that we live our life, that we live in a different way. What matters is that they don't see these stereotypes in our lives because we're living according to the Word of God. And I want to close here with just by wrapping up by giving you five quick ways to change these stereotypes in your life. Okay, I'll move quick. Number one, dig into the Word of God. Right? We've got to be a student of the Bible to know what the Bible says. Number two is this. You've got to pursue holiness. We can't be so lackadaisical about the sin that's in our lives. So easily we just neglect it or dismiss it or just don't worry about it and we laugh it off or excuse it off or yeah that's just my personality i don't see that attitude in scripture towards sin right we, we can't treat sin so lackadaisically number three grow in your own faith grow in your own faith right when you're knowing learning god's word and pursuing holiness in your life you can begin this process of discipleship Begin the spiritual disciplines in your life. Reading the Word, memorizing the Word, studying the Word. Find a mentor. Find an accountability partner. Listen to Christian podcasts. Read Christian books. Whatever you can do, these are all all good practices to help you grow in your faith. To help you connect uh, with other people, other Christians in your life that can help you to grow in your faith. These are all healthy practices. Number four is prayer. You see, 
diving into God's word, pursuing holiness, all these spiritual, all these things are good, but they all kind of fall under the umbrella of prayer, right? Prayer is vital in our lives. You see, Jesus prayed, Jesus modeled prayer for us, Jesus taught us how to pray, Jesus prayed alone, Jesus prayed in groups, Jesus prayed before he made decisions, Jesus prayed in time of need, Jesus prayed to thank God. I think by the example of Jesus, we can see that prayer is important. And he's God, right? He's God, but he still found time, found the time to pray and saw the, the necessity of prayer in his life. And number five is this. We probably all learned this as kindergartners. It's the golden rule, right? Just treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, if we wouldn't be so judgmental, we might find that the world isn't so judgmental. If we wouldn't be so harsh and critical or hypocritical toward other people, we might find that they can learn some positive biblical characters and traits from us instead of us looking just like the world. So the only way we're going to break these stereotypes that the world sees in us is by just simply living different and pursuing a relationship with the Lord. And being aware that these stereotypes exist, that they, they're in us, you have to first just kind of really do some hard evaluation to recognize, okay, these are in me. I, I, I want to get rid of these things that are in me. i got to begin to understand God's Word and live according to it to change these stereotypes about my life. When we begin to change our own lives, we'll see that God will use us to begin to change the lives of other people around us in a positive way. Because it's not the blind leading the blind at that point, right? So be aware that these stereotypes exist in your life and be willing to change and do something about it, all right? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we just confess now, Lord, that, um, that these stereotypes exist in us as Christ followers, that sometimes we're hypocritical and judgmental and legalistic and God forgive us for not knowing your word better and not applying it to our lives and living according to it God so I just pray that you help us to do that help us to 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 put away these stereotypes to put away these these sinful things in our lives but to pursue you God we thank you that you're gracious with us that you're forgiving with us that you're understanding and kind and you don't treat us the way that we deserve to be treated God, help us treat others that same way. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, this morning, I'm going to ask you to respond the way that God's calling you to respond. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I I am those things. Those stereotypes are true about Christians because I know I've, I've seen them in my life. Then be honest about that. If you want to talk about it, if you want to maybe find somebody to be an accountability partner with you and you guys walk through this together and, and, and go to God's Word together, then, then come out to the welcome desk out there to your left when you walk out. Maybe, maybe you're sitting in here and you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. And you say, you know what, Tim? The reason I'm not a Christian is because you, I, I've had people that have been hypocritical and judgmental and legalistic to me. I'm sorry. Forgive us. Right? That's not us living the way that Christ has called us to live. So, you know, turn to Christ. Don't look at us. Look at Christ and forgive us. We're sorry. Maybe this morning you've not been a part of a connection group. Many of you have already been in a connection group, but not all of you. Man, I want to encourage you to be a part of a small group. Get connected with other people. They can help you on that path in life to point you to Jesus. All right? 
Respond however God's calling you. At the conclusion of the service, I'll be out to the left, out there at the welcome desk. Let's stand and sing.
of the goodness of God. I'm gonna say, you're my because of God's goodness that we gather here to give him praise and uh, uh, thanks for all that he's done for us. And I hope that we can continue to uh, portray God's love to the, the people that we encounter to overcome these stereotypes and to show them that our God is a good God. And despite our shortcomings, uh, that, that they can experience that through him. So I want to remind you about uh, continuing in your worship as you give in the, the uh, boxes. What are those? containers, things on the wall, those things. Yes, you can drop your offering in there and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, as an act of worship. Uh, check out the bulletin for things going on. Lots of stuff, cool stuff going on here coming up. But uh, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. God, I thank you for this time to be in your house, to gather and worship. You are a great, loving father and we thank you for that, God. Help us express love to those around us. Help us to um, reflect the, the graciousness that you've uh, given us and the way that we deal with people. Uh, God, we are honored that and, and, and humbled that you choose to share your love and goodness through us and help us to be uh, worthy vessels and ambassadors for you. Uh, help us to be light in the dark world, God. Give us strength and encouragement and wisdom as we do that. Help us to dig into the things that we've, we've talked about into your word and your prayer and to, to holiness and all these things, God. Ultimately, that we can treat others as uh, we would like to be treated. And we've been treated well and mercifully by you, our loving Savior. So help us. We love you. We thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Yeah.